In the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of, of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? 
Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise you, Christ. As you can see from the um, service sheet, the colic this morning encourages us in the way of righteousness. More specifically, it encourages us to return to the way of righteousness, which provoked in me two questions. How do we um, discover the way of righteousness, and what do we do with it? How do we discover the way of righteousness, and what do we do with it? And the answer to the first question is that righteousness, according to Paul, is credited to us. Rather pompously, it seemed to me, the, the, uh, the colic refers it to as, calls it the admission into Christ's religion. That doesn't sound very St. Andrew's, that, to me, but anyway, there we go. Righteousness is credited to us. I had an extremely su- pleasant surprise this week on Wednesday, I think it was, a letter a rare experience, a letter arrived on my doormat addressed to me, and on opening it, I discovered a cheque for 393 pounds and 35 pence made out to me. At least I assume that it was made out to me, although the person sending me the cheque had made the unforgivable sin of putting a hyphen in my name, but I hope it will still work. I was thrilled at the size of this unexpected bonanza and puzzled by its source. It transpired that some of the shares in my father-in-law's estate, he died three years ago, had been credited to me by his executors. And this was the proceeds of a share allocation that I had not bothered to take up, since I don't really understand anything about shares, and I'm not entirely sure I believe in them anyway, but that's another story, but there we go. But nevertheless, this was a very welcome bonus, and I was happy to receive it, not least as my wife is approaching a significant birthday, and this is perhaps the solution I was looking for. Anyway, you don't need to know about my finances and my personal foibles any further than that. The point is that for sure, I was credited with something which I did not deserve and had not earned. Because of someone else's generosity, because they care for me, even after their death, I am blessed. Righteousness, by which Paul means a right relationship with God, of course, that's what righteousness means, being put right with God, having a right relationship with God. Righteousness, well, it's a rich word, it in part means that, at least. Righteousness was reckoned or credited to Abraham by faith. He took the check to the bank and cashed it, if you like. He believed the promise that God made, just as I believe the promise of this check and paid it into my account. Not much good was it sitting on my desk. It wasn't worth anything there. God's promise to Abraham that he would bless him and his descendants was not much good unless Abraham acted on that promise and set out to err and the great story of the people of Israel began. He cashed in the promise. He acted on his belief and set off. 
Abraham, Paul says, is therefore the father of all who believe the promise. Everyone who puts their trust in God's promise, fulfilled, of course, in Jesus of Nazareth, will be brought into right relationship with God. That's what Paul is teaching us. If we put our faith in the promise fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, we will be brought into right relationship with God. That is what we're celebrating here in Holy Communion, the terribly costly way that God opened the road to righteousness by faith, how God opened the way of righteousness. So the obvious question this morning for each one of us when we consider whether we are righteous before God is the question, do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? I don't mean just intellectually, but have you, like Abraham, cashed the check? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you surrendered to His Lordship in your life? And if the answer is yes, God credits you with righteousness, whatever you have done in the past. He says, we may not always have been friends. I may not always have approved of what you have done, but I love you and I want to know you. That was actually true of my father-in-law. He certainly didn't approve of everything I did, and I certainly wasn't a perfect son-in-law. I even managed on one occasion to set fire to his house, which caused quite a drama. But, uh, but he cared for me, and I cared for him. And now, even after his death, he is blessing me with the share option. So as you come to communion this morning, let us learn the lesson from the epistle. Remember, firstly, righteousness is by grace. It is given. It is not earned, and it cannot happen, and it can happen because the promise made to Abraham is kept as Jesus' body is broken on the cross and His blood is shed in your place and mine. We are saved by grace through faith, not works. Righteousness is credited to us. So what will we do with it? Secondly, therefore, um, let's consider what Peter has to say about the way of righteousness in the gospel reading. The, the collect calls it the way of righteousness. What should we do with righteousness? Well, we should pursue it. That is what uh, the Scriptures teach. Peter, in the gospel reading, rightly identifies Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise, rather remarkably identifies Him as the full, fullness of the promise. He confesses on being asked, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. But he still thinks he has to earn righteousness. He still wants to step back into the old covenant, the covenant of law. So he argues against the necessity of the cross in verses 31 and 32. Let me just remind you of that from Mark chapter 8. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Extraordinary thing, isn't it, really? To say, you are the Christ, the Son of God, but you're wrong. But of course, we're all inclined to do that. How many of us have done that to our tutors at university? I think you're a marvelous person, but I think you're wrong. Arrogance is the great Oxford sin. But he still thinks, Peter still thinks that he has to earn righteousness. So he argues in this way. He thinks 
The great Messiah has come. Now we must follow. We must keep the law. We must oust the Romans. We must establish a new theocracy with Jesus as king, and all will be well, for we will be good Jewish boys, and that will be deemed to be righteous. But Jesus says his kingdom is not of this world. And in chapter 9, in order to give them a glimpse of the reality ahead, he takes Peter, James, and John uh, up onto the mountain, and they witness what we know as the transfiguration, a glimpse of the new world to come, of the true kingdom. Now, the challenge to Peter and to us is to live by the reality that has been credited to him or will be credited to him after the Messiah has suffered and died and risen again. You are declared righteous. You are credited with righteous. God sees you as righteous. He sees you as his friends. That is how he sees me. So let us together pursue righteousness. Let us be what God has made us. You see, if you try to save your life by your own efforts, you will lose it. All around us, we see that happening to people day by day as people make shipwrecks of their lives, not least, of course, those sometimes in our own church family. But if, like Abraham, you are prepared to give up your life and go wherever God asks you to go and do whatever God asks you to do, at sometimes great risk, as Abraham did, he can't have known what lay ahead as he set off to the land of promise. But in doing what God asked him to do, he saved his life and discovered the way of righteousness. There is, of course, paradox here, as so often in Christian doctrines. We are given life. Life is being in relationship with God and now and into eternity. We're given life, but we must also pursue life, abandoning the common assumption that, the common assumption that this life is the great reality. We lose the blank check in order to gain the real one. I looked up on Common Worship's website uh, for the collects for today, and they give an alternative collect for the one today. The, the one today is wonderful and very familiar, I'm sure, to many of us. They have an alternative collect, and it goes like this. With this, I close. Almighty God, by the prayer and discipline of Lent, May we enter into the mystery of Christ's sufferings, and by following in the way, may we come to share in the glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.